Welcome to Light Church. We're so glad you could join us for this weekly message. We hope this message leaves you feeling inspired and equipped to be all that you were made to be. Amazing. Well, like Holly said, I want to welcome you to Light Church. Uh, whether this is your first time, whether you're just visiting, or whether this is home, uh, I believe it's home for anyone who walks through these doors. Yeah. And But I do believe whether you are just visiting, whatever your story is, I don't believe you're here by accident. No matter anyone, however you got here, whoever you are, I really don't believe that you're here by accident because I believe God wants to speak to us. Yeah. I, I make a point of saying this every single time because I've been in church since I was born. Like I've never not been in church. And as long as I've been in church, I've had Sundays where I've sat down and I've listened to the message because it is what you do. And I come away and if someone was to ask me what had been said or what was going on, I'd be like, I'm not going to lie, I have no idea. And uh, none of you would do that in this church, obviously, when I'm speaking. But um, now I just want to encourage you because it can be so easy to go through the motions of stuff that we do. And, and maybe if you're here for the very first time, you've never stepped foot in church before. This could be quite like a weird thing. Why is this guy stood up there talking and why is he wearing a Britney microphone? You'll see later. I don't know. Now, I really believe that God wants to speak to us. And when we open God's word, when we get around these scriptures and when we, when instead of us reading the scriptures, we say, God, can you come and read us? Can you come and speak to us? Things change. And I believe that God wants to speak to us. Is that encouraging? Yeah. It's because this isn't just like empty words. These aren't just my thoughts or my opinions. This is the word of God. Yeah. So I'm excited about this one. I really believe that whoever you are, you can leave this place this morning hearing God's voice and inspired and encouraged to be who God has called you to be. So we've been journeying through um, this uh, series called Foundations, where we're walking through chapter of the book of Acts every single week. And this week we are on chapter five. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't been doing already, to be reading through every single week. If you haven't caught up, you've still got time. And uh, we're just going to take one chapter a week, and we're just going to look at this idea of foundations. Because the book of Acts is all about foundations. It's all about the beginnings of the church. It's all about the beginnings of Christianity, the beginnings of this faith. This thing that we are part of today had an origin story, and that is the book of Acts. And it's how the Holy Spirit moved throughout the early church. So, Acts chapter 5, for a summary of those who maybe aren't up to date or maybe you just didn't take it in when you read it, I don't know. Acts chapter 5 can be split up into these three areas. The first area is this really strange narrative, or some might find it an unnerving narrative, uh, of this couple called Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, we don't have time to go through every line of chapter 5 or each chapter every week. But we have an opportunity to jump into what I feel God wants to speak to us. But just a side note, on this narrative of Ananias and Sapphira, some of you are thinking you're reading it like, okay, these people lied to God and next minute they died. And you're thinking, okay, I've come to church and I've like, I'm following this God. Is this his thing? He just go around like whacking people and then just moving on. And I want to just, just for interpretation's sake, when we read Acts chapter 5, the early church was in such a vulnerable and like, uh, like early state. It was in a place where God knew a tiny little bit of corruption could have had a detrimental impact. So God needed to lay down some culture. He needed to establish some rhythms. So the reason God was so harsh at the beginning of Acts chapter 5 is because he's making a point with his churches. I, I, I'm to be respected because the sins of 
Ananias and Sapphira weren't just towards the people and, and the community. The, the sin was committed against God. So I encourage you to read it if you want the context. If you have no idea what I'm on about, that's all right. And then in the middle bit of Acts chapter 5, we see the apostles are going around healing people and there's so much faith around. It says at one point that people believed that if they could just get into the shadow of uh, the apostle Peter, then they would be healed. There was this faith and expectation that God wanted to do something. And then we get to this last part of Acts chapter 5, which is what I want to look at today from verse 27 onwards. Um, But we see this bit where the, the high priests and the local authorities take the apostles because they've been preaching about Jesus. They put them in prison. God breaks them out of prison. Crazy story. We'll get there. And then they're put in front of these high courts and they're challenged and intimidated. And they're basically told that they are not allowed to speak the name of Jesus, to preach about Jesus. So that is a breakdown. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 5. I'm going to read from verse 27 through to 33. Then we're going to jump to verse 41. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn there. But if you don't, it's all good. So verse 27 says this. The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Verse 28 says, We gave you strict orders to not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than human beings. The God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. We are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And then if we skip to the end, to verse 41, it says this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. I love this passage and it's been so good journeying through Acts as we see this story, this origin story of the church. But I was thinking something I've really enjoyed in my own life is following people who are like the top of their game not like in a creepy way following but I mean just like keeping track of people's careers and stuff like I love watching documentaries about like Michael Jordan or Cristiano Ronaldo or or like the Williams sisters or people that are like the top of their game in whatever they do and um it's interesting that you hear stories. Uh, there was a story about Cristiano Ronaldo where an ex-footballer mate of his went round to his house and he tells a story of how excited he was to go for dinner with his mate Cristiano Ronaldo and he was, he was so pumped. This guy's so rich. I'm going to get the best food ever. It's going to be the sickest thing. And he goes round and uh, what was served was boiled chicken and plain rice and a pint of water. And, and it was this idea that this guy was so confused like, this is one of like the, the richest, greatest footballers ever to live. And this is what we're eating. And he was just talking about like the commitment that Cristiano Ronaldo puts into his, his physique and his diet and his training. And, and it's interesting, if you were to look at people, like you watched the documentary about Michael Jordan, and all these people of greatness, especially in sports or, or in uh, like artists are just the same or singer-songwriters are just the same. They have such a commitment or such an understanding as to why they're doing what they're doing. 
They just have this unswerving dedication and commitment to being at their best or, or digging as deep as they can possibly dig to be who it is they know they're supposed to be. And there's kind of this thing about them. They, they just cannot be discouraged. Like, of course, they get down about stuff and you see them like wrestling with certain losses and, and certain emotions or whatever. But it's like they just cannot be discouraged. I wonder how many people said to Cristiano Ronaldo when he was young, like, hey, you don't need to stay that extra two hours on the training field. Hey, you don't need to be that careful about what you eat. You don't need to be so intentional about the, the type of boots that you, you wear. Or you don't need to be that involved in the training routines. And I wonder how many people said that to him, but he had this desire inside of him. Just he's so committed to being the absolute best that he could be. And in some ways, the more you study greatness, the more you, you see these people of greatness, to some of them, greatness is actually like a responsibility to them. If you watch these interviews, it's like almost they feel like they owe it to the world to be at their best. It's like they've been given this gift and it's on their shoulders to be the best that they can possibly be. And uh, it's like they're aware of this bigger presence around them. It's like they're aware of the greatness in them and they know that they have to live it out. They have to be their best. And it got me thinking, you know, imagine if you and I were to approach our life or our purpose or our calling or our faith with that same intentionality, that same approach of being like, this is my responsibility to be the absolute best that I can possibly be. Imagine just like Cristiano Ronaldo takes care of every single element of his life to make sure that he is who he knows he can be. Imagine if you and I every single day took that same like elite athlete approach to our faith or to our lives, or to the, the, the purpose or the future that God has set within us. And maybe some of you do. Maybe some of you are like, yeah, that is my life, and I want to encourage you. That is amazing. But it just got me thinking. It challenged me. I wonder how different my life might look if I spent as much time, and I was as intentional with my faith and the calling that God's put on my life as Cristiano Ronaldo was with his football. I wonder how different things might be. And then it actually encouraged me. And as I, as I said, we're journeying through Acts. And it's interesting because the early church, the, the early apostles, it's like they had this exact same understanding. There was absolutely nothing that could be done to them that would stop them from living out what was within them. There was absolutely nothing inside the early church that would stop them from actually following what they believed their convictions were about Jesus. That same approach against all odds, against the people saying, maybe you shouldn't stay as long at this. Or maybe, did God really say that? Or, or maybe it looks a little bit different than the way you're living it out. The early church had this unswerving commitment to be who it is God had called them to be. I don't know, it encourages me, it challenges me to think, ah, I kind of want to have that same approach. I want to have that same approach in my faith. I wonder how vibrant my faith could have been over my life if I'd have taken that same approach, like, ah, this is on me. This is, this is something I have to build. This is something that is my responsibility. I wonder how different it would look. See, when it comes to purpose, I believe and this is, this is a statement, you can quote me on this. I hope you go home with this ringing in your ears. But I believe that there is future and purpose inside every single human being. 
Whoever you are, whatever your story is, whatever your history is, I believe that there is purpose and future inside you because I believe God put it there. No matter how many times you messed up, how many times you've fallen short, how many times you've procrastinated, how many times you've pushed it away, I believe that there's purpose and future inside the heart of every single human. The crazy thing about purpose, that every single one of us, every human being has a general purpose. We can split purpose into general and specific. The general purpose of humanity is to live in relationship with God and to serve the will of God. That is the general purpose of humanity. Go back to Genesis, the origin story of humanity. Humanity's purpose was to live in harmony, in balance with creator. Created, living in balance with creator. That is like our general purpose as human beings. No matter who you are, you are called to be living in relationship with Jesus. But then every single one of us has a specific purpose. I believe that God has breathed a specific purpose, a future within you. Whatever that is, the various gifts that you've got, the various things that he's going to ask you to be and do, every single one of us has a unique purpose. Now, the thing is with purpose, the best way for you to discover your purpose or to understand your purpose is to be in relationship with the one who put it there. The best way to understand why it is you've been made is to spend time with the one who made you. Now, if any of you are unfortunate enough to have to set up Ikea furniture, me and Holly were in Ikea yesterday and that place is crazy. It's like, it's literally like heroin to people. You see more, there is no civility in Ikea. People like, like climb, it's like Black Friday every day. It's like they're climbing over each other. They're like, you stand in the checkouts and all you hear is a symphony of beeps because everyone's just beeping things so quickly and they're running around with the, maybe it's the power because they get to hold the little gun. I don't know. But Ikea does some crazy things to people. And I'll be honest, I absolutely hate putting up Ikea furniture. It's so fiddly. You have to like line everything out. I'm not very good at following the instructions. It takes me ages. Holly actually really enjoys doing that. Does anyone enjoy doing Ikea furniture? Everyone look around. These are the people you can ask for help. Because I will not be helping you. I'm sorry. But anyway, Ikea furniture. If you're ever unfortunate enough to have to put up some Ikea furniture, the best way for you to understand the purpose of the various components and materials in front of you is to consult the instructions that were made by the manufacturer or the designer. Right? Makes sense. You want to understand what screw 17B12 is? You got to go back to the instructions and look at the person who made it and what they have to say about what screw 17B12 means. Make sense? The best way for you to understand why it is you've been made is to spend time with the one who made you, to be in relationship with the one who made you. So regarding our purpose, so many people think when it, when it comes to purpose, when it comes to, to understanding why it is we're here or, or understanding like what it looks like to live uh, to be the person that we've been designed or called to be. So often we ask the question, how? Like, how am I going to go about doing it? We talk about it like it's a strategy thing. Like, okay, I'm going to be the person God has called me to be. Let me put together a plan and a strategy. And it's kind of void of God's voice sometimes. I've been there in my own life. It's like God's given me the assignment. And then all of a sudden, I don't need God anymore. I've got what I've got to do. But that's not how God wants to work. He wants to do it with us. So really, when it comes to purpose, the idea and the concept of purpose isn't as much a strategy or a plan issue. It's much more of an obedience issue. It's far more an obedience issue. See, 
This is a bit of a principle of this passage in Acts chapter 5 is this. When you become a follower of Jesus, you are laying down your desire or, or your right to do things the way you want to do them. You are laying down a, your method and your strategy of how you are to live your life. And you are picking up God's will and God's strategy for how he wants you to live your life. That is part of being a believer. Now, just for a second, do not hear me saying that we are supposed to be like mindless chimps that just walk around doing whatever it is that we're supposed to do with no, no mind involved in this. That's not the way God made us. God has blessed you and graced you with a mind to think He's given you his spirit of wisdom to help you make decisions. You have the Holy Spirit to help you navigate this life. So this is not just every micro decision is God using you like a puppet or a robot. But what this is about our lives, about our futures, about our, uh, about our purpose, about our design, about our calling. We are laying down our right or our desire to do things our way and picking up a desire to do things God's way. So it's about obedience to God's way. I don't get to choose what I want to do in my life. How many of us know like sin is an easy thing. It's a, a desirable thing to do. But when we become followers of Jesus, we are saying I am forfeiting my right to do whatever I want. And I am picking up this new way of doing things. And I am following what God wants for my life. And some of you might think, well, that sounds like such a sacrifice. I don't get to do that. I don't get to be in that relationship. I don't get to, to live in that way like everyone else. I don't get to be involved in these things. And it's like the beauty about obedience to God's way is it is the sweet spot where we understand why it is we've been made. It is the sweet spot where we actually begin to feel fulfilled and we begin to understand what peace is. We begin to understand what God's love is. Because so many of us decide, I think I want to do it my way. I think I know better than you, God, on the way. I want to live my life. But the beauty of being obedient to God is it's actually where we become who we've been made to be. In relationship with our creator is the only place where we actually can step into the truest version of ourselves. So actually, some people would look at being obedient to God in certain areas, the way we live our lives, the way we relate to people, the way we conduct ourselves, the way, the way that we think, the way we use our mind, our resources, all these things. Some people can say it's such a sacrifice. It looks like such a limiting life. But ultimately, we are, the, we are way more free in that place because we are the truest version of ourselves that we could possibly be. I don't know about you, but that's what I want for my life. I've tried taking it into my own hands time and time again, and I always end up in the same place. God, I think it's time for you to take back over. God, I think it's time I'm going to follow your way. I should have done it all along. Again, like I said last week, let's just cut out the middleman and go straight to God with what he wants for our life. So purpose is a matter of obedience, more so than it is strategy or plans. And it's a journey. We discover that stuff. But the thing is, in our lives, whether it's our general purpose or our specific purpose, we will always have people, just like Cristiano Ronaldo, we will always have people saying, mm, I don't think you need to stay as long at the training field. I don't really think you need to be living your life as intentionally as that. See, 
When it comes to us really being who it is we've been called to be, there will always be opposition. There will always be pressure. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 5. And like I said, the early church embodied this amazing commitment, this amazing, like unswerving value that they were not going to bend on their convictions. So if you and I want to be who we've been called to be, if we want to live out the life that God has called us to live out, then we need to look at this early church and go, why did the early church outlast the Roman Empire when it was so small at the time? Why is the church still going 2,000 years later? And we look at these early, early Christians and we go, because they had this commitment. They had this desire to be and to live out what God had placed within them. So there's some observations I have from this Acts chapter 5 of some pressures that the early church had that would pull them away from their obedience to God. And the thing is, you and I will have these exact same pressures in our life. But the early church always chose obedience. So three things here. The early church, they chose obedience in the face of intimidation. Obedience in the face of intimidation. Let's look at this in verse 27. It says this, The apostles were brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. Now, to us, again, this might sound so chilling, like, okay, they were brought in front of a group of people. But to understand the context of the time, this would be the equivalent of being sat in front of a couple hundred people all looking at you. It is a crowd full of, of like military leaders in the temple. It was a crowd full of local officials. It would be like rabbis, teachers, scribes. All of these people prescribed as holy people there on behalf of God stood in front of you all with the same opinion that is different to yours. So the early apostles are placed in front of the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest in front of everyone. Imagine being an apostle in that moment. A little crowd of them stood there looking out at all of these people who are out to disprove what they've been preaching. And in this moment, there would have been people there with all of their weapons out. The threat of death was completely present. Like people were executed from the Sanhedrin all the time. People were taken outside of the city gates and stoned. When the, the, the apostles are stood there talking to the Sanhedrin to defend themselves as to why they'd been preaching Jesus, what do the apostles do? They defend themselves by preaching Jesus to them. Like what a mad group of people. Like they just could not bend on their conviction at all. The, the, the high priest like, hey, we told you not to be preaching in this name. So to defend themselves, they're okay. Let me tell you about this guy we know called Jesus and what he did for us. I don't know about you, but that same commitment to their convictions, I want a little bit of that in my life. In the face of intimidation, because it would have been a very intimidating place. The whole Sanhedrin was set up to intimidate. The way they were all sat was you versus hundreds of people all looking at you so that you would change your opinion to agree with them. That is how the whole Sanhedrin was set up. Intimidation is effective because it makes us question ourselves. I felt intimidated in my life through various different ways. I remember taking this job and one of the first things that I ever felt was this intimidation feeling. I knew God was calling me to step into it. It wasn't really the journey I expected. I remember when it all started to go through and I was so intimidated. I was like, hey, I'm only 23. 
How, how is this going to work for me? I'm only 23. I don't think I have enough life experience. I don't think, and all of these different things. Intimidation is effective because you begin to question yourself. And in your own life, you will face various forms of intimidation. It might be like intimidation that is intentional to stop you from living the life you've been called to live. It might be people in your workplace, people in your family, parents, friends that want to intimidate you from living and being the person that God has designed you to be. See, intimidation is effective because you question yourself and you begin to go, oh, really? Yeah, I don't know if I am capable of that. And the best advice I ever got when it came to dealing with me feeling intimidated about my age was for someone to tell me, God didn't call you in 10 years. He called you now. And the thing was, it wasn't for me to keep looking at my insecurities or insufficiencies, but actually looking at God's provision and God's character. So maybe in your life right now, you're stood just like the apostles in front of what seems like an intimidating circumstance. The best thing you can do is just fix your eyes on Jesus. And we'll see. I've got three observations of ways that the, 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 the apostles were obedient. And then we'll look at their response and how they managed to do this. So, Obedience in the face of intimidation. The second is this, obedience in the face of manipulation. Manipulation. We've all experienced some manipulative behavior in our lives, haven't we? Listen to this, verse 28. The Sanhedrin, the high priests, pull in the disciples. And they say this, they say, basically, we told you not not to preach the name of Jesus. And then in verse 28, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. So the high priests basically take the, the apostles because the apostles have been preaching about how the Jews had crucified Jesus and the high priest just stood there saying, oh, we didn't crucify no one. It was the Romans that did it. Like we didn't do anything. Why are you making us guilty of this man's blood? We never did that. And have you ever felt that feeling where someone's like trying to guilt you into something and you just feel really uncomfortable and you feel like, nah, if I stand up for what I believe here, it's going to feel like it's dead personal to them and you ever been in that situation where you've had to stand up for some form of truth and it's felt personal to someone else? The Sanhedrin, the high priest are there like, you are so determined to make us guilty of this thing we did not do. And the disciples in this position of manipulation have to stand there and decide like, okay, we're either going to be like, okay, yeah, we get you. Like technically it wasn't you that did it. Like you didn't drive the nails in there. You didn't like own the cross. Like you didn't, okay, we get you what you're saying. Understand. Instead, what does, what does Peter do? He just stands up and he's like, this Jesus guy whom you crucified, whom, whom you strung up on a cross, and God raised him from the dead. Like, the disciples were so obedient in their convictions to God that they would not bend the knee under any form of manipulation or intimidation. See, the thing is about manipulation, it's effective because it causes you to doubt your intentions and to doubt what it is you really believe. Again, we've all experienced manipulative behavior where you stand there and think, am I wrong for saying this? I swear I was all right. Like, I swear, like, this is really the truth. And uh, like, have you ever dealt with a manipulative person? You start to doubt yourself and think, wait a minute, what's really going on here for a second? And that's the thing about manipulation. Peter could have quite easily stood in front of the high priest and been like, oh yeah, no, that's, wait a minute. But our gospel says that like, like, we, cru- we crucified Jesus. Like, the, the Jews crucified Jesus. Like, they could have begun to doubt the truth and doubt themselves. What do they do? They stand strong in their conviction. 
Now we know what Jesus said. We know what he called us to do. We know the message that he called us to preach. They had obedience in the face of intimidation, obedience in the form of manipulation. And listen to this, they had obedience in the face of a completely different culture. Obedience in the face of a completely different culture. Two verses for this. Verse 28, the the high priest says to Peter, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Like there couldn't be anything more opposing to the disciples than this. It was a flat out command. Do not preach this guy Jesus. Okay? Do what you want elsewhere, but when you're in Jerusalem, do not preach this guy Jesus. And then we see in verse 29, Peter says this. He says, We must obey God rather than human beings. And Peter just sets up this, this little, these two opposing forces, these two opposing beliefs. We can either obey God or we can obey you. We can obey God or we can obey humanity. We can obey the culture of the kingdom or we can obey the culture of the age. And in the face of what is completely different culture to them, they were obedient to God. Now this one is funny because the church, I believe, has had an, like capital C church around the world, has had an interesting relationship with the word relevant. I've been there. I've been the one like, church has got to be relevant for people. We, we, we've, got to, we've got to, you know, present ourselves in a way that, and so many of us have been caught up in that. Uh, all in the UK, in America, all around the world, church has been saying, we've got to be relevant to people so that they can come in. You know, the interesting thing about relevancy is, is it applies that someone else is already in a place first and then you have to like catch up. I don't want a church to be relevant. I want us to have something fresh and pioneering and something of actual value to give people. I don't care about relevance. Because I think, yeah, we're going to present things in the best way possible because I believe in excellence. Yeah, we're going to set things up in a way that are smooth. Like this stupid screen is doing my head in. We like excellence in this church, just so you know. This is not normal. But this isn't going to change the message of the gospel, is it? It's going to change the power of God. This isn't what changes people. Just what irritates me in the back of my mind. Won't be there next week. But see, this is the thing. In the face of the culture, the church does not need to dilute its message so that it can be relevant. It needs to go the other way. We need to be so grounded and rooted and determined and know what we believe so that we can exist in the world. See, the the message of Jesus wasn't, let's get so deep in our understanding of theology and of the gospel that we close the doors and we live in a huddle. It's the exact opposite. So let's get so deep in our understanding, our intimacy with God, that it actually forces us out of the doors so that we can stand strong in the various spheres of life that we live in. I'm telling you, I do not want us to be a church that has to dilute the message of Jesus to make it palatable for people. In fact, we want to just display the life-changing power of Jesus and be so secure in this that it doesn't matter where we take it, we can stand strong in our convictions and we can be the people that God has designed us to be. So they had obedience in the face of intimidation. and You and I will experience that same thing. You and I will experience intimidation. They had obedience in the face of manipulation. I promise you, you will experience manipulation in your life. And they had obedience in the face of a completely different culture. So how did the disciples respond? What, what, was, what, what was it that allowed them to do this? How did they do this? Quickly, I know we're running out of time. 
The first thing is this, their motive was obedience to God, not disobedience to humanity. This is funny because this sounds like the same thing. I heard someone say once, you can run towards success or you can run away from failure. They often look like the same thing, but they're very different. And it's just the same with the disciples. Their desire, their motive was to please God, not to just to rebel from society. Put it this way. Christians should not just be known for what we are against, but we should be known for who we follow. Because Christians, we love to know what we're against, right? Don't we? We love to know the list of things that are like, we can't do this, we can't do this, we don't like this, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And they're the things that we carry around. Not interested. I want us to be so known for who we follow. So known that our lives have been changed by the power and presence of Jesus. Not just things that we stand against. Listen to this. Obedience to God. What was, what was the command? What, how, how could they stay obedient in the face of these things? In verse 20, the, uh, the, the apostles are put into a prison. And God breaks them out of this prison. And then God speaks to them through an angel and says this. Go and stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. So the disciples, they've been put in prison because they were preaching Jesus. And then God tells them, I want you to go back into the temple, the place where you had just been taken from and you've been put in prison and preach about this new life. That was the command of God. Their boldness came from the call of God. The disciples, the apostles, boldness, their ability to be obedient in the face of intimidation, manipulation, a different culture came from the fact that they had heard the voice of God. See, in your, in your life right now, in my life right now, faith is built by hearing the word of God. So many of us are like, oh, I, just need, I just need to know what I'm, I'm made for. I just, I, I just wish I had that ability to stand strong. The disciples could stand strong under that extreme pressure because they'd heard the voice of God. If you in your life are wanting to stand up strong in your convictions, whether that is to serve God by living the life in a way that he wants it to be lived or and to live out what he has placed within you, you need to be living in intimate relationship with God, constantly hearing his voice. You will not be able to do it if you are void of God's voice. And so many of us try. That obedience was to God. It was not simply disobedience to the law. And that obedience is what fueled their conviction. The second thing was this. They kept the message and person of Jesus at the center of their obedience. I love this. Thing. And not only did, did Peter just start preaching about Jesus in his defense about preaching about Jesus. He goes through every single element of the gospel story. He even outlines our response and he outlines God's response. Listen to this. He says, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead, whom you killed by hanging him on a cross. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. He talks about every single element. Look at this. He talks about the death of Jesus. He says, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. He talks about the resurrection of Jesus. He said, the God of our ancestors raised Jesus from the dead. He talks about the ascension of Jesus, where he says, God exalted him to his own right hand. He talks about our response to this gospel. He says, to bring Israel to repentance. And he talks about God's response. What will he do? And he'll forgive their sins. 
Peter goes all in in this moment. You think I've been preaching about Jesus? This is exactly what I've been saying to people. This is exactly the story, this gospel that transformed my life. Every single element, the disciples, the apostles, the early church were able to be obedient to God because at the center of their obedience was the message and person of Jesus. Listen to this. It is much easier to follow the call of God in your life when you understand what God has done for you. It is far easier for us to be obedient to sacrificing things in our life and to living things in the way God wants it to be and to being the person we've been called to be when we understand what Jesus did for us. Because it says in the Bible, I think it's in Philippians where it says, and Jesus was even obedient, obedient to death on a cross. It is easier for us to be obedient to God when we understand what he has done for us. They kept the person and the message of Jesus at the center of their obedience. Maybe in your life right now, you're just, you're just figuring stuff out where family is difficult. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family. Maybe you're in a workplace. Maybe you're in a difficult spot. I don't know your life and I don't need to know your life. But I promise you this. If you keep the person and the message of Jesus at the center of every single thing you do, you will build a life that will last and you will become the person that God has designed you to become. It is that simple. Keep the person and the message of Jesus at the center. Not church. Not the benefits. Oh yeah, like I want to go around talking about obedience to God and I'm in a really difficult position. I'm inviting people to church and I'm talking about peace. I'm talking about all the benefits that come with being a follower of Jesus, which are all really important. But there is something special about just remembering the life the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus. And that is the only thing that can give us new life. Not the social side of church, which is amazing. Not just all of the benefits that come with being a follower of Jesus, but the person and work of Jesus. It's the only thing that will allow us to be who it is we've been called to be. I'm invite the band up. I'm coming into close in. The final thing is this. They shared their story and their experience. They shared their story and their experience. Verse 20, the angel says to the disciples to go into the temple and it says, and tell people about this new life. And in verse 32, Peter says this to the Sanhedrin. He says, we are all witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who God has given to those who obey him. See, the disciples weren't just going around and telling of this myth or this story. They were sharing their lived experience. You know, there's power in your story, whatever your story is. You sharing the way that Jesus has changed your life, or Jesus has given you purpose, or Jesus has given you peace. Do not devalue the importance of your story. Because I love this. The disciples were literally a living message for the world, they were literally an embodiment of the gospel. They were living and moving and walking around as a demonstration of what it means to be changed by God. That word witnesses, again, we understand witnesses as someone who watched something happen, which is true for them and to a point. That's not what the Bible understanding of the word witness means. It means example or demonstration. And they're literally saying to this big court of people, we are the living embodiment of how God can take someone who is no one to someone who is something in his eyes. We are the living embodiment of people who were lost and broken and outcast. And now we are welcomed into a family. 
Your life can be a living embodiment of the power of God wherever you go. So if you want to live a life of obedience and a life of purpose and and live that life that you were called to live, understand what Jesus did for you and use your life and your story to bring glory to Him. Which which means this, because some of you might sit there and think, ah, my life isn't really that good a story, to be honest. Well, that's what our God specializes in. He takes people that are lost and broken and hurting and hopeless and He gives them peace and He restores them and He builds them. I don't know, this is encouraging me this morning. In verse 41, as I finish here, it says this, day after day in the temple courts, from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. These disciples, just like these elite athletes today who are so, they cannot be discouraged from being their best. These disciples go day by day, temple to temple, door to door, preaching about the goodness of God. I love that passage, that little word. It just says, they never stopped. I I don't know about you, but I hope in 50 years time, I can look back at my life and go, God gave me so much to do and I never stopped chasing after relationship with Him. I never stopped chasing after the person I've been designed to be. In fact, I hope in five years' time, people can look at this church and not just say, oh, they've got good media, or they, they value creativity, or they do this and they do that. I pray that we're looked at as a community that never stops shouting about the person of Jesus, that never settles for anything less than what God has called us to be. And in your life right now, you might be feeling like, I know God's put something in me, but I just don't. I encourage you to run after it with such an intentionality. Run after what? Run after Him. Run after the person and the work of Jesus. It may be said of us that we never stopped. No matter how sick we got, no matter how in pain we got, no matter how ridiculed we got, no matter how complex things got, no matter how confusing times were. Setback, intimidation, manipulation, culture, no matter any of that, we never stopped chasing after the person of God. Come on, if you'd like to stand. Maybe this morning has been a little bit of a wake-up call for you. Maybe you've been living that life where you've just felt like I've not been intentional about what God has put within me. I want to offer just an opportunity for me to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to respond. I just want to pray for you. Because I feel like every single one of us has a, has a challenge this morning to make sure that we are running after the person of God so that we can be people that he's called us to be so with every head bowed and eyes closed I'm just going to pray for you Lord God I pray that today isn't just a day of encouragement or inspiration but Holy Spirit is a day where you convict us into action and obedience God may we never settle for being a mediocre church mediocre people that were just unaware of the potential and future that you put within us. God, may we be people that are so set on being who you've called us to be. Holy Spirit, I pray for those people right now who are on the edge of just feeling like taking that step. Fill them with such a focus right now. Remind them of who you are and remind them of who they are. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence. May we never be the same. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a weekly message from Light Church. If you would like any more information, you can find us online or on social media. Thanks for listening.